Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. And a special shout-out to all our vets on this Veterans Day weekend. We are eternally grateful. Thank you. Well, (laughs) it just continues to percolate out there. So, we're going to have a big rat-a-tat-tat. But first, we're going to get into, I think it's the third week, maybe the fourth, of our series on the spider in the middle of the treasonous web bent on destroying the constitution of the united states and fundamentally transforming the country and he has done in many ways just that and he's done it in his third term as president behind cadaver the figurehead and he's done it with plants in cadaver's administration and agencies which go way back you know big berry acquaintances barack hussein obama This is his clan. He has them in place, just as he had them in place when he was the president in name, rather than now the president in fact. And it is extremely important you understand how he has manipulated control of this country, how this select group, all of them interrelated, all of them having the common denominator of Obama, has been hell-bent on tearing this place apart since the get-go. And in that context, we're going to talk about George Soros. I did a rather big expose on him, oh, four or five years ago. But this will fill in some of those details and kind of tie it in for you. And though he is not, quote-unquote, part of the government, he is very much part of the government because he writes big checks to Democrats, progressives, communists, and foreign agents, as we will be discussing. And then, of course, I'll tell you the rest of the story on our friend Georgie. Over the last three weeks, we have discussed the identical, it's not a similarity, the identical policies and actions of Qaddafer and Obama when he was in office. In other words, Qaddafer simply carrying on the edicts of the current president, Obama, his master. And we've discussed the interesting folks that have been with Obama all through, thick and thin, since the very beginning, who were suddenly mysteriously appointed by President Cadaver in positions of really absolute control and authority in every major and material aspect of American domestic life and foreign policy, with rather disastrous consequences if you believe in individual freedom, the Constitution, and America. We've discussed Antony Blinken, our Secretary of State, Samantha Powers, who kind of runs some big things behind the scenes, was former ambassador to the United Nations under Obama, and her husband, Cass Sudstein, Obama's regulatory czar and the author of the book Nudge, you know, insert the poison pill, and when the poison is throughout the system, there's nothing they can do about it. And Susan Rice, who's kind of the linchpin of Obama's control over the White House and the administration. And Patrick Sullivan, that erstwhile national security advisor that we have. Oh, we are run by the A-team folks. There is nothing to worry about here. On the rightsideradio.com, the archives, to catch any shows you missed. They come up right away. And I told you last week we were going to discuss Eric Holder and George Soros. Well, I'm going to make an audible change in the play structure. George Soros was the largest contributor to Obama's campaigns. He is the largest contributor to left-wing causes, not only in terms of amount, 
<laughs> totaling about 16 billion over the last 20 years, but in terms of consistency in America and around the globe. And you know, no political faction, no ideology can exist without money. Hamas needs and Hezbollah needs Iran's money, which unfortunately happens to come from cadaver, Obama third term, United States taxpayers' coffers. And so too do the legions of quote-unquote philanthropic organizations which are masterminded by Soros through his Open Societies Foundation. And around the globe and here in the United States draw their funds as do many Democratic candidates and progressive, or should I say, communist causes. Therefore, the source of the money deserves special attention, and we're going to focus on him today. Next week, I'm going to bring you Mr. Holder, you know, Obama's longtime wingman, and Victoria Newland, and oh yes, that gentleman by the name of Mayorkas. <laughs> Once again, another longtime Obama accomplice and disciple who runs Department of Homeland Security and tells us our borders are secure. And that's going to wrap up this series because it's important that you know the human beings who are in charge of formulating, or should I say perpetuating, Obama and the alt-left policies of coddling radical Islam and foistering communism and anti-American education, indoctrination, acts, and lack of acts. Remember, policies are made by people, not governments. Governments enforce policies at the direction of those people, using your taxpayer money. Against you, obviously. And in our rat-a-tat-tat, we're going to be covering a lot of things. One of them is, let me tell you, while we've all been distracted, you know, their game of monkey-like shiny object, the glittering quarter outstretched in the right hand while the left hand is busy doing nefarious things. The WEF, the UN, and the WHO, all of course our wonderful friends, who have our freedoms and our safety and our health, in fact our lives, first and foremost in their mind, they've been very busy. And you need to know what they've been doing so you can raise holy hell with Congress. And we're going to be discussing some interesting things about the election, which is just about, oh, what is it, three days from being a year away? I think we're three days into the last year before the 2024 election. And you know what? The trusty Dems under Obama and others are pulling out that trusted playbook, which has worked so well for them in 2012, his re-election. Not so well, but almost in 2016. And beautifully in 2020. And the Dems have a surprise up their sleeve, I'm quite certain, as to who the candidate in 2024 is going to be. And somehow I don't think it's going to be Joe Biden. Even the New York Times and the Washington Post, oh, and Politico, those mouthpieces of democratic demagoguery are beginning to undercut cadaver. And you know, over on the other side, they work in concert with a common end. Why don't we start off with our founder's quote? Because when I get done with this show today, and I probably won't even get to all the unbelievable details of the rat-a-tat-tat, I think you'll see that it ties in perfectly, and it's one that you should really think about. This is John Adams. The most sensible and jealous people are so little attentive to government that there are no instances of resistance until repeated multiplied oppressions have placed it beyond a doubt that their rulers have formed settled plans to deprive them of their liberties, not to oppress an individual or a few, but to break down the fence of a free constitution and deprive the people at large of all share in government and all the checks by which it is limited. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. And how about our rant story? I think you'll get a chuckle out of this one this week. So we're putting in a little augment 
plantation solar deal on the ranch for a number of reasons. One of the first and foremost is I don't trust the grid. And the second one is, you know, it'll cut down on costs. Even here in Wyoming, the uh, big power supplier, Rocky Mountain Power, is in for a 30% rate increase. And somehow I think, folks, it won't be the last. We're going to see him coming at us like a rat-a-tat-tat all over the place. Many of you listening to me have already suffered several big rate increases at the hands of your philanthropist utilities caused by the policies of the so-called Biden administration. But I digress. So I've done a whole pile of research on various solar applications. I won't bore you with all the ups and downs of that research over the last four, five, six months. But solar has come a long way. And it probably, to be honest with you, has a long way to go. We finally decided on a system that we think will take care of all the little stuff that we need it to. And it will involve a fairly small array of solar panels. And originally, Brainy Me said, oh, we can put them on the roof of the ranch house. We've got a big old roof. It faces south. Should be perfect. Won't have to run a lot of wires, etc. And then the more I got to thinking about it, putting on my practical rancher hat, well, what happens if they need servicing? I mean, this roof is, you know, 16 feet off the ground, second story. And it's winter, and the roof is icy or snowy. What happens in the installation if there's a hole put in the roof, and it's a leak that we discover a long time afterwards, and we have to repair it, take off the panels, redo the roof? What if it comes time to replace the roof? What, are we going to take all this stuff down, then put it back up? So I started looking for alternatives, which is what they call a ground mounting system. And I went through this alternative and that alternative, and I was all excited about one system, which is kind of like big tubs and the solar collectors, the solar panels rest on it, and you just fill it with gravel, and it's heavy, and it doesn't blow away, and it sits right on the ground, and it's no fuss, no muss. Well, you know, unfortunately, and it's an American manufacturer, it seems that the sizes of those tubs on which the panels fit don't fit most panels. So, you know, it's a great idea, so we say poorly executed, which brought us back to a more standard ground installation, which kind of pedestals with racks, and they're adjustable for the season, and you can put the panels on them, etc., etc. Then came the problem of, we really don't want to look at the panels. I mean, one of the reasons you live in a place like this, besides loving the land, loving freedom, and loving solitude, is that you love the view, you love the space. And who wants the view even partially blocked by an array of solar panels. I don't think anyone. Well, I scrambled around and I spent literally a day and a half figuring out different measurements, you know, how long the solar panel array would be and how high it was going to be and how it was going to sit. And each time I located a great spot that was close enough to the house to not lose power through the underground conduit that will bring power to the apparatus that's going on the wall in the house. I kept running into the problem of these panels, when they were erected, were going to be at the wrong angle. I mean, literally, there was no way to kind of not see them, have them not interfere with the view. And I was sitting around, in fact, today, scratching my head, woe is me, what are we going to do? And I'm looking at the compass, and you know, I remembered, a compass is 14 degrees off from true south. <laughs> 14 degrees doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot when you're dealing with a bank of solar panels, visibility, and sightline. And excitedly, I went back to the area which, out of four or five, we had finally chosen as the most desirable, anyway, if we could make it work. And I got out my app on my cell phone, which gave me true south. And lo and behold, it moved the line of panels 
that will be in the future erected just enough that 14 degrees so that it works like a charm. And what's the moral of this story? Well, one moral is never stop thinking about a problem. The answer will come to you in all sorts of weird ways and at weird times and unexpectedly. And the second one is this rancher can be a dumbass sometimes. <laughs> that's kind of basic, right? True South versus Magnetic South. So that's the moral of this story. Now let's talk about our two buddies, Mr. Soros and Mr. Mayorkas. Now, Georgie. Georgie was born into a prosperous Jewish family in Hungary. He was just a toddler when Hitler came to power and annexed Austria, seven years old. He was 13 when the Germans occupied Hungary. His father, whose last name was Tividar, changed the family's name to Soros and secured false Christian documents to keep them alive. I don't fault them for that. But it seems that while the Nazis were occupying Hungary, they were having George do all sorts of little errands for them, like deliver memos, which told prominent Jewish people to congregate at the local synagogue at a certain time with 24 hours of clothing and food because they were getting deported. Well, <laughs> deported obviously was a synonym for the gas chambers. And it seems that George also assisted the Nazis in doing an inventory of these prominent and wealthy Jewish citizens who were destined for death in concentration camps. And it seems that he also, oh shall we say, partook in the spoils. Now, he admitted that in a 1994 video interview with Michael Lewis for the New Republic. Now, shortly after with the left-wing press, because, you know, you never want to not support a wealthy donor, particularly a guy who gives billions to left-wing causes. They have covered for him forever and ever. Like all the other billionaires of his ilk, let's just talk about Gates as one tiny example. He pretends to have a philanthropical organization we're going to talk about in, that in a moment. And people just go all a Twitter, all a goo-goo, when they hear that he gave $50 million to the orphans on Mars. But really, these organizations mask a much more sinister purpose, just like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So the the press came to his aid, and sh then the story became he was forced to do it. And then the story morphed into, well, he was only there taking notes. He never participated in anything else, and so on and so forth. You get the picture. Today, George is a prominent member of the WEF. He hates Trump with a passion. And in fact, he has funded several of the DAs down there in Atlanta and in New York, Leticia in New York. He's funded them. He got them elected along with other DAs, some of which have been removed by an aroused and pissed-off citizenry, for instance, even in San Francisco. And as we get a little bit further into George, you'll understand where this all comes from. And you'll find, unlike George's, shall we say, cover-up after that rather revealing interview in 1994, that, you know, he's innocent. He's only a spectator, quote-unquote. In 73, he established the Soros Fund. It was later called Quantum Endowment Fund, a very successful hedge fund that eventually spawned a range of companies. Along the way, in the early 1990s, late 80s, he took many steps to undermine the British banking system, in the dark, surreptitious, behind closed doors. And then he bet big with borrowed money, a billion dollars, on the collapse of the British pound. And the British pound did indeed collapse in 1992. And this is really where he made his name in finance, and by the way, also made billions of dollars. A significant chunk of which is now being used against you, me, the Constitution, and America, not to mention Western civilization. Flush with his success, he began to use the tactic in countries around the world. 
India, Indonesia, Hungary, several of the other Eastern European countries. It got to the point, in fact, where in Hungary, where he had originally based his operation, that he was told to leave and that if he ever came back, he would be arrested, tried, and likely executed. And by the way, that policy in Hungary remains true to this day. Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary, he rocks. He, he can see through the charade. It was back in 1984 that Soros began to use his profits to create what he called the Open Society Foundations, a so-called, by the press, philanthropic organization that began to morph into a network of foundations. It is now estimated that there's more than 80, some of them like double and triple tiered, so it's kind of like hiding money, oh, that's right, it's called laundering money, to accomplish various nefarious ends in all corners of the earth, all of which, by the way, are designed and in fact do undermine America. He was also found guilty by a French court of insider trading for a 1988 stock deal which involved the financial services company Société Générale, which is a huge French bank. Let me just give you an idea of some of the things that he has used his vast network of domestic and international, quote-unquote, foundations or sub-foundations under the Open Society Foundation for, and I'll draw some parallels for you. In 1979, he started supporting scholarships for black students at the University of Cape Town in South Africa and for Eastern European dissidents to study abroad. Sounds great, right? What was the end result in South Africa? Oh, the reversal of apartheid. It was not just the elimination of apartheid. Now it is white and land-owning people who are persecuted, whose property is taken, and who are summarily executed. And where South Africa wound up? Oh, that's right. A member of the BRICS countries in bed with Russia and China. And then, according to the press, he was encouraging dissent behind the Iron Curtain. He opened a foundation in Hungary, which, by the way, was the predecessor to the Open Society Foundations. The foundations sought to expand, quote-unquote, people's access to information in Eastern Europe and Russia. It included, by the way, distributing photocopiers to independent groups to uh, break the government thought and news control. And he's been deeply in bed with China, supposedly supporting democracy in China. But in fact, his efforts in China really became divisive. Oh, you mean like here in the United States? We're going to get into that. Infighting between the pro and the anti-reform folks in the Communist Party. The foundation was closed by the Chinese in 1989. Good for them. Smarter than we are they. And then they began a bunch of open society-related foundations in the former Soviet bloc. Poland, Ukraine, oh, Ukraine, and Russia. Gee, and what is devolved with Russia and Ukraine? Hmm. He started a university, Central European University. If you talk about woke and you talk about left, folks, they make Harvard look like a founding father's tea. Some of his societies even got into the arts. And Soros, by the, by the way, is a big believer in visual persuasion. He believes the right art can change people's mind. Of course, in what direction is our problem. And then he got into education, early childhood curriculum and training programs, which, by the way, is now advanced by yet another spin-off of Open Society Foundations in 80 educational groups around the world, and it's active in 40 countries. He even has his hand in the till in American education and the education department, thanks to Barry Obama, which we'll discuss in the rest of the story about Georgie. And then, according to his website in 1994, he got involved in 
quote, nurturing democracy and addressing inequality. He spent over $150 million in South Africa, creating deviltry. And, oh, tens of millions of more in Myanmar. Oh, and what happened in Myanmar? It blew up, didn't it? It became a genocide, a rebellion more violence. And then one of his foundations got involved, along with others, eventually, on the global drug problem. And it was called the Linsmith Center, which was a policy research institute dedicated to promoting, I quote, a new approach to drug policy, one focused on health care provision and protection rather than on punishment and prohibition, unquote. By the way, spin-offs of this quote-unquote philanthropical endeavor, you can see on the Democratic-controlled, big-city streets of big-city America anywhere in the country right now. You know, folks getting free needles, shoot-up areas, sprawled across the sidewalk, stoned, with no bail, no arrest, and simply a pat on the back and enablement. And he got involved in bringing the end of life, care, out of the shadows, quote-unquote. Do you see what's happening in Canada, folks? Where people are encouraged to, you know, if they're old and they're feeble and they're not well, or simply just old and therefore not useful, they're encouraged to take their own life, which is now legal in Canada. In fact, Canadian doctors are empowered and, unfortunately, in many cases, eager to assist. The same in Europe. And all this flows at its very nexus, at its very embryonic stage from Soros. And then here in the United States, in addition to all those other things he was doing internationally, he was doing here. And he also got heavily involved in, oh, immigration policies. I bet you didn't know, I'll skip a little bit to the rest of the story, that a lot of, a lot of these large caravans, a lot of the workers that are working down in Panama and in Costa Rica and in Bolivia organizing these caravans, funding these caravans, feeding these caravans. That's right. They're funded by Soros Foundations. This is right from his website. Our programs in the United States were the outgrowth of our programs in the rest of the world. Social justice, vulnerable populations, civil rights, and the criminal justice system, unquote. And my, what a wonderful job he's done. In fact, the United States has become his singular, overwhelming focus. One in five dollars spent by the Open Society Foundation is spent here in the United States. And he's active in Africa. Gee, that place is blowing up over there. You have civil wars and genocides everywhere. Never mind the attempted expulsion of the quote-unquote colonial powers, as Barry Obama likes to call them, by various countries. And the handing over of their resources to, oh, that's right, China, Russia, and, oh, oligarchs, kind of like Soros. He was also instrumental in getting the European Union to say okay to the millions of Muslims, which that exodus that was created by Barry Obama, don't tell me they did not work together on this, when Obama made a complete and intentional upside-down series of steps in Afghanistan, ISIS, and Syria. And what is the result of that? Oh, even at the mainstream TV, millions of people in the street wanting the death of Israel and, I guess, putting Hamas on a pedestal, and, of course, undermining Western governments which is really his primary intent. And he created, remember the, the American Council on Foreign Relations? I mean, a more warmonger, deep state, anti-American, anti-individual group could not be found in the United States. I've brought you stories on them. Guess who founded the European Council on Foreign Relations, which is really kind of a mirror to the United States Council on Foreign Relations. That's right, George Soros. And he also got into, and his first foray was in Indonesia, into addressing 
uh, this is right off his website, quote, addressing corruption and monitoring elections, unquote. Well, he did a wonderful job of monitoring the 2020 election, and it's rumored that he owns some rather large stakes in some of the big voting machine companies, particularly Smartmatic. In fact, his attorneys just quashed an attempted subpoena, and this is kind of getting into the rest of the story, by Fox News of Soros himself wanting to know his relationship with Smartmatic and voting machines in the United States. And Pakistan, you know that nuclear-armed Muslim nation? It seems that they've been heavily financed by Mr. Soros under the guise of once again from his website, quote, demonstrating a commitment to families across Pakistan by launching innovative educational initiatives. Oh, yes, the indoctrination initiative. Establishing a coalition for media safety. I think he called that censorship. And his open society outfits have even signed a cooperating agreement with the Pakistani government. And where else has he been involved that have blown up? Okay, here in the rest of the story. How about Sierra Leone? How about Liberia? How about Haiti? How about the Congo? And now he's also expanding his work in Latin America. In fact, it seems, and I'm tracking down some of the details, it seems he was involved in this recent very suspect election of Lulu down there in Brazil, who now is going total left-wing, total authoritarian, and of course aligning with the enemies of the United States. And who is the one who got the press to call waterboarding by the CIA torture? And who exposed the CIA's interrogation centers in countries other than the United States? Oh, that's right. Soros Foundations. And according to his website, he is now heavily involved in, quote, celebrating marriage equality in the United States. And, quote, fighting for LGBTQ rights. Unquote. Ah, you mean he's involved in the trans LBGTQ? He's involved in all that too? Anything to undermine the government and the Constitution, folks. And his website admits, by the way, as part of the rest of the story, that they were, quote, helping refugees and migrants fleeing war and poverty, particularly in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. You know, the mess that Barry created, that then, by design, Soros funded and distributed really across all the borders in Europe, except Hungary? And do you think our universities are bad, folks? you think our education system is bad? Well, George Soros and his Open Societies Foundations have played a large role in that. And over the last number of years, they've also gotten involved at the university level. In fact, their initial gift to launch what they called the Open Society University Network was $1 billion. Supposedly, I love the way these guys can twist words, to defend academic freedom and critical thinking. So long as we know, watching the campuses today, that the critical thinking ascribes exactly to the Soros progressive and anti-American ideology. And open society was also involved in, oh yeah, Black Lives Matter. And according to their own website, quote, building black power, unquote. I'm sure there was no influence by Barry Obama in this. And their aim is to, quote, promote bold new anti-racist policies in U.S. cities and help first-time activists stay engaged, unquote. Let me sum this up for you and kind of give you an ending to the rest of the story. George Soros is old. Everybody claps their hands. Unfortunately, George Soros has two sons, not only coming from the same viewpoint as their father, but indoctrinated exponentially by the education systems he set up just as he's setting it up around the world and in the United States. And they're taking over the reins. And George Soros, who has professed in an interview, I just love how these guys try and pull the cloak over our eyes. 
that Barack Obama was his biggest disappointment because he only talked to him for seven minutes after he was elected and after he gave him $100 million toward the election. Well, do you know who the most frequent visitor to Barry Obama's White House was? That's right, George Soros. 88 visits that we know of. And guess who are among the most frequent visitors to the cadaver, i.e. Obama third term White House? George Soros's son. As of about six months ago, at least 13 different visits. So as with all things, forget what they say, watch what they do. Which brings us to rat-a-tat-tat. You know, while everybody is distracted, monkey loves shiny object, very intentionally by the mess over there in the Middle East, precipitated by, oh yes, Obama and American policies. Our lovely friends at the WEF, the WHO, and the United Nations have been busy behind the scenes, and somehow mainstream media just isn't telling you about it. But I'm going to, and you need to get busy writing your senators and your congressmen or calling their offices. But before we get into those little mind-blowing rat-a-tat-tats, as you know, this past Tuesday was an election day in many areas around the country. And we're beginning to see a foreshadow of what the Democratic playbook is for the 2024 elections, which are within one year now, folks. They're going to try and frame this election about abortion, about women's choice. And the Republicans are doing a rather poor job in countering that argument. Because, you know, we, do, we want to be tepid. We don't want to step on anybody's toes and affront anybody. We are, as Obama liked to say, doing the exact opposite of what sane folks should be doing who are hell-bent on preserving freedom and the Constitution. We are bringing a knife to a gunfight. That needs to change. So the national press ran all sorts of headlines here in the past few days after the Tuesday election, basically trying to shore up what they crowed was a great Democratic victory and wave across many states, all based on, oh yes, a woman's right to choice. One headline was, Democratic Governor Andy Bashir re-elected in Kentucky, and Democrats have big night in Virginia. Well, you know, this is the mainstream media, and really nothing they can say can be believed or fully believed. Actually, Virginia did pretty well. The Republicans held on to virtually all their seats. They didn't gain any seats, which the Democrats figured was a victory. The sea tide changed in Virginia two years ago when Republican Governor Yunkin was elected and Republicans took control of a portion of the state houses for the first time in decades. And somehow the mainstream media isn't talking about Republican Governor Tate Reeves defeating Democrat Brandon Presley down there in Mississippi. And I could go on. But the real takeaway here is that establishment media is telegraphing Democratic strategy for 2024. They're calling these elections around the country a referendum on abortion. There's a high-ranking Democratic political consultant. His name is Ben Tribbett. And he's told the Wall Street Journal, quote, this was an election about choice, unquote. You know, how do we combat that? Well, here's an idea. If things are about choice, how about a choice on health? How about a choice on whether or not to be jabbed with an experimental drug? Or whether or not to wear a mask? Or whether or not to agree to a so-called lockdown to, quote-unquote, stop the spread? In other words, we should turn their hypocrisy on body integrity and health choices around on them. Because many of these people were the drum beaters, these Democrats and the mainstream media that supports them. They were the rah-rah class for mandates, do it or else, mask, don't come out of your house, don't do this, close down your business, take this experimental drug. In my opinion, my humble opinion, I think that would entirely blunt what obviously is going to be a major spear 
in the Democrats' political weapon assortment in the upcoming 2024 elections. You might want to mention that in both your state elections and to your federal representatives so that they can maybe get the idea, grow a spine, and clap back at the clappers. Did you know while we were all transfixed by the American-induced, both directly and indirectly, mess over there in the Middle East, the United Nations was busy, busy, busy. Busy little beavers were they. And they got, I guess, an edict passed, which amongst its other delightful little ingredients, I think we'll have it posted on the website for you, under Rat-a-tat-tat, Family Safety, and under the audio bar, and perhaps under Globalism, because it certainly is, which included, and I quote, a system designed to support early childhood vaccinations as part of a broader effort to provide legal identity to newborns and enable their identities to be safely authenticated. Wow. Let me continue with this rather startling uh, General Assembly passage, which, by the way, included a vote from the American ambassador to the United Nations. That's great. Quote, the same system which ensures correct vaccine delivery by establishing the child's place of birth and caregiver relationship, are you listening to this, parents, can also be used to assign national identity and then used for the delivery of other public services, like for health and education, unquote. Can anybody spell social credit score here, folks? A-I? And in this declaration by the United Nations, while we were diverted and distracted elsewhere, there's a rounding push to agree and support and try and get past the pandemic accord at the WHO, which I've told you about in previous stories, basically ceding all sovereignty of nations to the WHO in the case of any pandemic or health emergency, which, by the way, only the WHO would have the power to determine and declare. And the United Nations called for that agreement to be signed sometime next year also. By the way, in the United Nations declaration, besides their mention of the WHO, vaccinations seem to play a central role. Why would that be? In fact, it's a 13-page document, and the word vaccination is mentioned 23 times. And one of the foundations of this declaration, which was passed while everybody was looking elsewhere, is a clause which greatly resembles that in the WHO pandemic treaty. Quote, take measures to counter and address the negative impacts of health-related misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, and stigmatization, especially on social media platforms, on people's physical and mental health, including countering vaccine hesitancy in the context of pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response, and to foster <laughs> trust, well, that's an oxymoron, in public health systems and authorities, including by increasing public health education, literacy, and awareness. By the way, as part of this declaration is the adoption, or the recommended adoption later next year, to adopt the UN's what's called One Health Agenda. Oh, that's terrific. Which inseparately links human health to climate change, folks. Do you remember that edict by, now rescinded by our lovely Governor Lujan down there in New Mexico, blue, 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 New Mexico, which basically by, you know, executive governor order, stripped everybody of their Second Amendment rights that sheriffs wouldn't enforce and her attorney general wouldn't prosecute on? Well, that was based on a health emergency that she alone declared. Do you kind of get where all this is going? By the way, this document seems to link 
the fact that climate change is the cause of zoonotic pandemics. In other words, diseases that come from animals and transmit to humans. You know, we're right back, never mind the proof, the evidence, the admissions that this was gain-of-function research in Wuhan. We are now back to the old, you know, the snake mated with the leprechaun theory, and somehow that got into a human. So you see how they're trying to link health and pandemics to climate change by zoonotic transfer of brand new pathogens which may be coming our way. Thank you, Dr. Fauci and the Red Chinese. And guess who's giving some money to who and to the UN to study all this, you know, climate-induced health matters and pandemics. The Rockefeller Foundation. Oh, my. So we have George Soros and the WF supporting all his causes we've been talking about. And the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, the top one-tenth of one percenters, and additional eager participants in the WEF, you will own nothing and you will be happy program. By the way, the UN declaration, also much to the delight of the globalists and the WHO, calls for $30 billion to be given to the WHO to enforce this anticipated, with much relish by the globalists, pandemic treaty. And over in Germany... The uh, health minister over there, Lauterbach, he's jumping up and down. And there's kind of a little rest of the story to this sub-story, if you will. Lauterbach thinks, quote, Germany needs to urgently boost vaccinations, unquote. And Lauterbach also, by the way, advised older Germans, 16 over, to get their flu vaccinations at the same time as they get their most recent COVID booster, those lucky Germans. This despite the fact that a week or two ago, a study from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, of all places. I mean, they've been purposely asleep at the switch, I think, during the mess over the last three years. They did a study, and they found that seniors who receive both the flu and COVID-19 boosters at the same time are at a heightened risk, I'm quoting here, of ischemic stroke, unquote. By the way, that study resulted from uh, the CDC's vaccine safety data link. It's called VSD flagging a, quote, possible, unquote, connection between receiving both of those jabs at one time and then keeling over from a stroke. But as the little rest of the story on this news from Germany, it was announced last week that the German government threw out 29 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine and discarded previously, at the end of 2022, 54 million doses because Germans, thankfully, are saying nine to additional jabs. And that cost the German government $1.7 billion. So you see, in the end, it really is all about money, no matter how you slice the pie. Or should I say, how you load the needle. And down in Brazil, you know, all this is happening at once, right? You don't think this is coordinated? Lulu, or Lula, the uh, new president down there, who won in suspect circumstances, is a Soros ally is partially funded by Soros, and who welcomes with open arms Soros's foundations into Brazilian life and education, has decided that he's going to mandate, they use the word prioritize, children aged six months to five years old for, yes, the COVID jabs and the COVID boosters. And Lula, the erstwhile and so-called president of Brazil, he's kind of a totalitarian on vaccines, which he calls a guarantee of life. And he even accuses parents who do not vaccinate their kids as having no love for them. Gee, have we heard this guilt trip before, folks? And he mentioned in passing uh, these edicts, these new mandates down there in Brazil, that, quote, people are going to have to be convinced again of the effectiveness, <laughs> well, yeah, full speed ahead, damn the torpedoes, and 
who read the studies, the effectiveness of the vaccine. We're going to have to get a lot of people who oppose the vaccine who are going to have to apologize, unquote. Along those same lines, and remember, all of this is transpiring despite all this science coming out from independent sources and now, reluctantly and grudgingly, and only to CYA themselves over the lawsuits which are coming down the pike, hurtling down the pike at them. The studies which conclusively show DNA contamination in the Pfizer vaccines, I mean conclusively now, this is not surmise. There are peer-reviewed papers. I've brought you the story. The FDA is taking the position that it's not required to take those COVID-19 vaccines or any other COVID-19 shots off the market. And that was a quote to the Epic Times just a week or so ago. The Epic Times slapped him with a FOIA saying, you know, when did you know about this DNA contamination? Why do you think it's not a problem? And why aren't you taking these jabs off the market? The FDA's response was to deny the FOIA's request because there was no, um, how did they phrase it? There was no urgent or compelling reason to put it kind of ahead of all the rest of the work they had to do to answer. And the FDA flatly refused to answer questions about the sequence, including when the agency learned about this DNA contamination and whether or not it learned it from the actual drug manufacturer or from another source. See, folks, they're looking out for your health. And along these lines, in a, you think maybe more coordination? What do you think? The WHO came out with a statement and a study and papers, etc., over the last two weeks. And their conclusion is that SARS coronavirus 1, in other words, COVID 19, phyloviruses, the Machupo virus, and the Nipah virus have been increasing, quote-unquote, exponentially and are, I quote, likely to increase 12-fold by 2050 if climate change is not solved, unquote. Do you see a recurring theme here, folks? And they go further in their statements and papers over the last several weeks because they maintain that climate change is the driving factor behind human health. And in the papers, of course, they suggest that there's several measures, including the new mRNA safe and effective vaccines, which should be implemented immediately to defend against this climate pandemic that's looming over our heads like the sword of health Damocles. And they recommend rapid development of more, not less, but more experimental RNA vaccines and the implementation of, quote, focused surveillance at key travel hubs and congregate settings, such as schools and universities, unquote. This little, should we say, foray into degrading you to serfdom is also being partially financed by the Rockefeller Foundation, oh, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who also kind of gave money to one of the UN substratas mentioned in this declaration I was telling you about just a few minutes ago. And interestingly enough, vaccine makers, you know, Big Pharma, are suddenly calling over the last two or three weeks for vaccinations against climate change-related disease calling it a climate crisis of health. And it appears, or it was just disclosed, I guess, that in May, the Rockefeller Foundation and the World Health Organization started a new initiative to discover pandemics that were caused by climate change. Now, I'm sure this is just a coincidence, but did you know that within the last week, while we were all asleep at the switch, the CDC, you know, our vaunted CDC, they made an announcement of an extensive expansion of respiratory viral surveillance programs for international travelers. All voluntary at this point, of course, and they would never mandate it, would they? And you'll love this. So under this program, nasal samples, I, you know, the big swab stuck back up through your nose till it touches your brain, 
Nasal samples are to be collected from international travelers. And this is actually going to be implemented, literally in the next 30 to 60 days, it's my understanding, as experimental, you know, to see how it all kind of flows. At four major U.S. airports, Kennedy International Airport, San Francisco Airport, of course, Logan International Airport, and Dulles. We have something more to look forward to during our upcoming air travel, folks. We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.